This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. Wouldn't it be great if real life was just like television? In debut rom-com novelist Meredith Shorts, as seen on TV, her main character, Adina Geller, takes that concept to the online magazine editor she's trying to impress. He tells her to run with it. She's hell-bent to do just that, in the hope that the fee from the article will not only allow her to pay the rent she shares with her loving single mother, but lead to a full-time job. But there's only one way which the town she's chosen, Pleasant Hollow, is anything like a Hallmark TV episode. Adina has a meet-cute with the charming guy in town, Finn Adams. Wait, not so fast, since Finn leads the developer's project that will change everything about Pleasant Hollow. He's also the one person standing in the way of making her article a reality. But there's more to Finn and Pleasant Hollow that meets the eye. Meredith and I discuss her process in concepting this romantic comedy, why rom-com plots need some darkness in between the humor, and why persistence is the key to an aspiring writer, or for that matter, an author's longevity in creating books. What she says will resonate with those who write and read about happily ever afters. Meredith, I love having you on my show, A, because I love you, not only as an author, but as a person. And um, I'm so excited about this book for you. I couldn't put it down. When I started it, I had to read right through the night because I so fell in love with Adina Geller. She's such a great character. I mean, here she is. I mean, she's sort of the every woman right now, a struggling, you know, not that we're all 20-something, but we're all struggling. <laughs> and, you know, she still lives at home with her widowed mother, and she works two jobs. You know, one as a spin bike instructor, the other one as a barista. All the while, she's hustling these freelance writing gigs. You know, her dream is to be paid enough to help out her mom, you know, only to learn that there's going to be a, a rent hike that might leave them homeless. By the way, I want to say something right here. My father-in-law lived at 21st and 1st, Peter Cooper Village. Yeah, I lived in Stuyvesant Town, 20th and 1st. I pictured Adina and her mother in my apartment, only two bedrooms instead of one. As I was writing. Oh, oh, well, that was um, that was my father-in-law. I loved it. We would visit him there. And of course, I remember when those buildings got rid of rent control. Mm -hmm. That's why Ugh. I say Stuyvesant Town, because it hasn't been rent stabilized for a while. So I, I picture it, but it's not actually the real development in the book. Right. Well, I pictured that, too, when I was when I when I hit that part of the book, I was like, oh, that's where my father in law lived. I called him dad. So that's where dad lived. So so she has this opportunity with a online magazine called T and she needs to make the most of it. And she pitches this wonderful idea about, you know, finding a real life upstate New York hallmark town. And she finds one called Pleasant Hollow. And it also has its own Hallmark-centric conflict. The big, bad developer is coming into town and possibly demolishing all the things that makes it charming. So let's, let's talk about Pleasant Hollow. Okay. Is it charming? And is it everything she needs it to be for her assignment? It is not charming. <laughs> and it's nothing... Like it, she, it does not satisfy her needs as far as getting, as writing the story is pitched. I mean, she finds charm in it in her own way, but not in the expected hallmarky way at all. So that basically she has to pivot and come up with a new storyline. 
Well, I don't want to get into the new storyline too quickly, but I do want to say that some of the things that you did to make it so non-Hallmarky were hysterical. I loved the fact that, you know, nobody was who she hoped they would be. Least of all, the cute guy in town. I so fell in love with Finn Adams. I truly thought it was a meet cute. Tell me how you came up with who he was going to be and why that worked so well for someone like Adina. Well, Finn, I wanted him to appreciate Adina for everything that she is. I wanted him to get a kick out of her and her attempts to turn this town into something it's not. Um, I, but I knew that he was actually going to be from the city and not from Pleasant Hollow. But I didn't really have his own character arc until I sent my first draft to my critique partner. And she wanted to know, you know, why isn't he the man that Adina needs? Why isn't he interested in relationships? And that's not a huge spoiler, but I needed to build a reason why this man who has so much to offer, a huge heart, he keeps everything close to his chest, why he doesn't think that he's emotionally available for an actual relationship. And so I had to go deep into his background for like real reasons why. And I don't want to give those away because those are spoilers, but he, he was a work in progress. When I started writing him, like I knew exactly who Adina was and what her goals and her motivations are, because I always do that before I start writing. But because the book was in her perspective, pretty much everybody else, they just grew organically as I was writing. And as I did more and more drafts, I just layered all the other characters. Right. And um, which goes into her wonderful fabulous relationship with her mother. How did you come up with their kind of synergy? And because not all moms and daughters have that, you know, they're more like, I would say, friends, but she knows her mother's role and respects her mother's role as someone whose who's, uh, opinions she values. Let's talk a little bit about that. Actually, Valerie Geller, Adina's mother, was my age when I was writing the book. I don't have children. And I thought to myself, how would I be at my age, which is not old, you know, generation X, you know, she had her at like 23 years old. And if I had a 25 year old child at 48, what would it be like? And how would our relationship be? And I did feel like there would be a mutual respect at this point. They're both adults. They live together. The mother is, is, aware that her daughter is not a child anymore, but yet she's still maternal. It's still a responsibility. She still cares for her and she wants to be there for her, but they're also friends. There's like a mutual respect now because 23 and 48, I mean, it's a big difference, but it's not like my mother was more than 30 years older than me and there were other kids involved. And it was just a completely different dynamic when it's just the two of them growing up. So I mean, so it was really, it was inspired by my own feelings on how I would be with a daughter of that age, as well as a little bit of Gilmore Girls. I thought a little bit of, you know, the way Lorelai and Rory are like their friends and their mother and daughter. Right. And they're right. able to do both. There's a clear line of who's the mom and who's the daughter, but they could joke around. They can talk about things like sex and, and just things that grownups talk about. Right. Because they... Uh, Valerie has as much respect for Adina as Adina has for Valerie. Yes. I love the way Valerie essentially said, these decisions are yours to make. She knew that she didn't have to lean so heavily on 
you know, her mom to make decisions for her. Her mom trusts every decision she makes, even when um, things go wrong in her assignment in Pleasant Hollow as to whether to stick it out or not. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was really great that, you know, her mom believed enough in her to say, no matter what's happening here at home, you got to do what you got to do to be the person you need to be. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, even if it doesn't work out, you have to try. Exactly. Which kind of brings us back to Finn and Adina. There's a lot of wonderful little give and take in how you've molded their repartee. I uh, appreciated that he held his own with her. He never pulled the macho card with her. There wasn't this kind of like, I'm the big guy, you're the little girl kind of thing. There was more of a, he, he could tease her, but he could do it in such a way that he showed tremendous respect for her. Thank you. Is it, well, is that the way they, is that the real world? <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of I see him as the ideal guy. You know, I, I know I know a lot of single women and I know that, you know, when they go on dates, there's not a lot of fins out there. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Yeah, but he had his faults, too. And this is another thing that comes into play with their conflict. Adina, she's so cynical about New York, you know, and she can't meet the right guy and there's so much competition. And so she daydreams about meeting this guy in a small town where everything is more simple and there's not another, you know, 3000 hot women in the other, you know, in the next bar. Um, but she also thinks that once she, I call her a cynical romantic because as cynical she is, she also dreams and believes that there, that somewhere there is this perfect relationship, but that's her problem. That's one of her flaws is because she thinks once she meets the right guy, that's it. And it's easy. And she meets Finn and he is the right guy, but in getting to know him and falling in love with him, she learns that even when it is right, it still takes work. Right. So I feel right. like that's what that relationship taught her. I think that even if she met Finn in Manhattan, they'd still have hit it off, but they'd still have their challenges. It doesn't make a relationship not good because it needs work. Right, right. There is one wonderful scene in the book where Adina goes off on Finn about all the things she loves about Hallmark movies, including the sleigh rides and the snowball fights and the dancing and the total inhibition. And... You know, in the essence of grand gestures without any self-consciousness, how does Adina's perception of romance differ from Finn's? And give the reader just a tad as to why that might be. I think that Finn is so burnt out by what happened with his own parents that he doesn't really believe that. I mean, he feels like he could, you know, he can like somebody, he can enjoy somebody's company, but he just doesn't buy into the whole, you know, Valentine's Day and the, you know, and like, oh, I love you so much. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. At least the declarations. He's, to he's capable of loving somebody that much, but um, he's got his own burdens and he doesn't feel like he can give somebody 100% of him right at the moment. Um, and he doesn't really think about it that much. I think that he was, until he met Adina, I think he was, thought he was pretty happy in his life, just the way it was. I don't think he was looking to meet anybody. It's interesting that you say that because um, as we got deeper and deeper into the story and as I was reading, I was seeing all the emotional conflict that he was going through. I, I, one of the things that I thought you did very well in the book was how you created this fully developed, totally conflicted human being in him 
because of all the right reasons. He had, you know, there was a family trauma. I won't give away any spoilers, but that kind of molded his whole relationship, not just with his own family, but with the women who come into his life. And I feel that you really dug deep to create this guy who has this big, wonderful, beautiful heart. You can see it in his work, but then he has to kind of pull in because he doesn't want anybody else to get hurt. And he doesn't want to get hurt. And I think that that was something that touched me tremendously. I, it made me go, wow, if, if this works out, because, you know, you're always wondering till the end of the book whether it's going to work out or not. And if this works out, they'll, she has everything he needs and he has everything she needs. Thank you. Talk about the layering. I really do want you to tell me how you layered to get him. How did you, how did you reach into yourself and say, He's got to feel this way, but not this way. He's got, to, he's got to be this person, not that person. Because we all run into guys that aren't these guys, you know? I mean, everybody has a very complex life. Every man we've ever met has a complex life. But some of them aren't able to see over the conflict and say, this is why I need to get beyond this to be in love, to find the person, my soulmate, to find the person I'm with. It took several drafts. When I first wrote Finn, a lot of his issues were in the past. And I realized that th that's not enough. It can't, you know, when I was younger, this happened. But what about now? Like now is now, you know? Um, and so I had to find a reason why right now he still can't give somebody 100% of him. And so I created a character who took pretty much everything that he had to give. And somebody that he loves very much and he feels really, really responsible for, even if he shouldn't. And so he has dated before, but he has never been able to really give somebody what he considers enough. And he's had people who have said, it's not enough. And so he basically gave up and said, this is all I have to give. And so I'm not going to even offer more because all I'm going to do is disappoint you. And then he decides to do that, give it all to Adina, and they have their black moment, I guess, is what it's called, you know, the dark moment where it doesn't seem like he can, and, and she doesn't want to accept less, and they have a big fight, and then it is a romance, so it's not a spoiler to say that things do work out. That's why I love romances. There's going to be a happy ever after, but it took a lot, and it also took a lot of drafting to make the happy ending make sense where they're both, where so, one person is not giving up so much, where one person isn't taking all the blame for why they fought in the first place. That was a little tricky because I didn't want to paint either character as really, really selfish, but they are thinking about themselves and what they need to do, either for themselves or for other people and what they want. Um, but I didn't want it to be like, it's all about me and, I'm, and I don't compromise at all. So it was hard. It was probably the hardest writing I've ever done. And I wrote certain chapters several times to get it right. But that's the writer's process, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I mean, if, if we don't re-examine what we wrote and dig deeper, we don't get what people will love about the book when all is said and done, when they close the final page of that book and go, wow, I really like that. That was a satisfying read. Yeah. When I sent it to my critique partner and she emailed me in the middle and, and, and said, like, I just totally cried. I was so happy and I was so proud of myself because... 
my strength, I think, is the calm, you know, in the rom-com. That comes more naturally to me. And the romance, too. But when you get into, like, the gritty emotional stuff, that's a little bit, it's more out of my comfort zone. So I really do have to push myself. Whereas I think some people are really, really skilled at that just off the bat. Well, bravo. It made me cry, too. I mean, I, I felt he had some real trauma to deal with. And then the bump he had to get over to get to her was perfect. It was, it was truly sublime. That means so much. Well, thank you for that. Um, you've lived in the New York area all your life, mm -hmm. but you've also lived in Manhattan for a great part of your life. Tell us about your love affair with the city. It's very, very similar to Adina's, in fact. And so writing this book was kind of cathartic to me because I have, at many points in my life, complained about being, about the dating. Not so much the professional stuff, because I've been lucky that way in my day job. I've just, I've been very blessed with the bosses I've had and everything. But as far as relationships are concerned, and even some friends, it's just, there's so many people that sometimes it's hard to, to connect. And as far as dating, it's so easy to ghost somebody because it's not like you're going to run into them on the street. I mean, you can, it does happen, but it's, it's rare because it's so big and they're so dense. So you can just have a date and like Adina in the first scene, she comes home after being stood up on a date. It happens all the time. And that's happened to me too. And it's easy to blame it on the city where there's somebody else, many somebody else's really close by. And I have also watched these Hallmark movies or just small town, anything on Lifetime, on Netflix, Gilmore Girls, Heart of Dixie, I can keep going. These towns that are, that everybody knows each other and there's a finite number of women of a certain age, men. So whether you're gay, straight, you know, asexual, whatever, there's just people, less of them. And it's just, it seems to me that sometimes the more people you have, the harder it is to connect. And if you have less, I'm in a class of 10 and there happens to be like, the right amount of eligible people for me, I just feel like the connection would sometimes be easier. You know, I would go and I would meet Luke from, you know, Stars Hollow, or I'd meet the, you know, single veterinarian father and everything would be great. Even though inside, I know that that's ridiculous because it's always gonna be difficult. Wherever you go, there you are. But because I've struggled with this and I have had these dreams of just packing everything up and just going someplace else. It was fun to write about Adina having the opportunity, at least not permanently, but to have like a nice chunk of time in a small town and see what actually happens when she gets there. Now, I don't think all small towns are like Pleasant Hollow, but they're also not like, you know, Stars Hollow either. They're all different. And I know that. But honestly, a couple of reviews have said things about how Adina's naive in thinking that, you know, that all small towns are Hallmark movies. And yes, she is, but the whole premise of the book hinges on her believing that. So it's like, if you can't go there, then my book is probably not for you. But at the same time, if anybody told me about a small town called Pleasant Hollow with 2,000 people, where there was a real estate conglomerate, like coming in to build all these condos in the town, the first place my mind would go immediately would be Hallmark. And so I stand by that was the first thing that Adina thought. And, you know, when she went online and it's not like when she did research, there was a big, you know, headline that said not a Hallmark town. She had to go there and find out for herself. She just saw a main street, small town, you know, with a river running through it. I mean, like, come on, it sounds like Hallmark to me. And I don't think that that's so far fetched. And she had reasons for 
sticking to it when she was there. When she got there and realized it wasn't what she needed, she couldn't just turn and go. There were stakes at play. I also love that um, the stakes included the fact that when she finally wrote her story, she was so much a part of her own story. That kind of like flipped it all on its head. You know, not to give away any spoilers here, but it's worth it just to read the story she wrote. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so that to me was probably one of the, the best little twists in the book, because as a journalist, you're not supposed to be the story. But in this regard, her being the story made it the kind of story it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And that was something I planned from the beginning. I mean, a lot of the twists and turns, they came in later drafts or after my editor went through it. But that was the decision that I made before I started writing. Wow. Well, that's good because knowing that now, I go, oh, wow. Well, this is why this was a book. This is why this got picked up by your editor. Um, Because this is a, a podcast about author process, I do want to ask you, I know you have a great relationship with your editor. Let's talk about the give and take about that. You know, one of the beauty parts of having an editor is that somebody can tell you, hey, tweak this, or hey, you're off base here, or, you know, what made you feel that, oh, this was the right choice for me in having this particular editor? And also, I can see why this is the right book for her. I don't know why she thought it was the right book for her. She said she loved it. She thought it was charming and delightful. I'm just remembering like the offer letter and what she said to me on the phone, but I was in such a daze at the time. Like, it, and it was a long time ago, but I loved her changes because she gets my sense of humor and she doesn't want to change my voice, but every comment that she has, like just makes it better. It takes what I already have and makes it either more logical. We just had like an hour conversation two weeks ago about book two. And and I got off of the phone so excited. We just brainstormed and, you know, that book actually needed more work than this one, which they say is not unusual in the second book in a deal. She said that actually, but um, she's really smart. And she knows exactly where I need to go in the book to pull out like the best parts and like take out the ones that aren't so great. And I'm telling you the line edits, she'll just move a couple words around in a paragraph and it just sounds so much better. It's like, how did you do that? Like magic, you know? I feel really blessed. I think she's a great, great editor. Um, what inspiring words would you have for someone who was where you were maybe a year and a half ago. Um, They wanted to be published, but they weren't yet published. Tell me, if you were looking back at yourself like a year and a half ago, two years ago, what would you say to you? I would say don't give up on your dream. Be persistent and patient and be clear what your dream is because if you want to be traditionally published, you might have to shelve a couple of books and we, we love them. Every book that we write is part of our heart and it's a lot of work. I mean, writing a book is not easy and it's really, really hard to say, you know, not now, this book isn't working right now, but I'm gonna keep writing the next one. And I would say that like, be willing to do that, to know that like this book might not be the one, but each one is getting you closer. I mean, the book that I signed with my agent didn't sell And it was devastating to go out on submission and have it not sell. But I knew that at this point in my 
career, I really wanted a print distribution, advanced paying, big, see my book in Barnes and Noble deal. So we said, okay, then you know what, on to the next, keep writing. And you have to really love writing. You can't be in the business because you wanna be famous or because you necessarily just wanna see your book in a bookstore. You have to actually love the writing because that's the biggest part. And you're gonna have to be writing a lot and you're gonna have to be changing a lot and you have to take a lot of feedback, some that you don't agree with. And sometimes you push back, sometimes you don't. You have to trust your gut a little bit, but really just persistence and patience is big because if you give up, obviously you can't succeed if you're not in the game anymore. Meredith Shore's novel, as seen on TV, is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.